Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get to Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Get to Vet. This is Trevor Maxwell on this beautiful, sunny, uh, like 100 degree day here in southeastern Virginia. And right down the street from me is my uh, fellow Get to Vet co-host. Mike Riggs. Yeah, I was just talking to a buddy out in Idaho, and he's just sweating like crazy out there. It's 105, and I'm just happy to be here at yeah. 91 and humid. <laughs> but I was just outside cutting my grass, and I had to go change my shirt and wash off because I was sweating. But, yeah, not as bad as out there on the West Coast. Uh, my brother lives in Portland, and I think they it was like 115 there, or the heat index. It was bad. I don't know. Those, those folks don't even have AC, a lot of them. Yeah. In, the, in Portland and Seattle, they, they don't need it until the 100-year heat wave comes in or the 1,000-year heat wave. And, man, I can't imagine. Well, it's good to know that our guest today is relatively comfortable in the, uh, you know, the beautiful weather of San Diego. So today we've got an awesome guest, and he's going to talk about something that I've been very curious about um, ever since I went through my transition journey, because I've heard about this course a lot. And I know, Mike, I think you and I have talked about this a little bit. So um, our guest today is Nelson Hendricks, and he's going to talk a little bit about um, the ruling course. Is that, hey, is it the ruling course or ruling? You got ruling, it. ruling associates. So mm-hmm. Nelson, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. Hi, Nelson Hendricks out here in beautiful San Diego. It's uh 75 degrees and the breeze is out. It's a little cloudy, but San Diego is beautiful. It always is. Thanks for the opportunity to come talk to you guys. Uh, you guys had asked me about Ruling Associates. So I'll tell you just a little bit about what that company does. It's been around 28 years. Uh, it started by a guy named John Rulin. He was a two-star flag officer with a supply background. And after he did his transition out of the military and was in the corporate spaces working he realized that he needed to help his buddies, fellow flag officers that are getting ready to transition because there's a bunch of things we just don't expect. There's surprises and challenges ahead for all of us as we get out. So again, it started a long while ago just for flag officers, but it's morphed over time. And the way we teach it now, we teach approximately 60 seminars a year all over the world, mostly Navy and Marine Corps. And the idea is to take people who are executives in the military and help them transition to be executives in the corporate world, specifically profit and loss. All of our instructors were former military for a long period of time, 20 to 30 years, got out and did five to 10 years in the corporate world. And then we borrow them from the corporate spaces to come in and teach for a week and, uh, and impart their knowledge to anybody who's interested that's retirement eligible 20 to 30 years. Nice. And, uh, you know, we've talked to several other organizations that do that nonprofit types. Is that, uh, is, is ruling a nonprofit or is that a paid course? It is a paid course for profit, but for you students, for the potential students, they pay nothing. The Navy pays for it or the Marine Corps. Oh, okay. That's awesome. I didn't know that. I mean, I, you know, I'm a big firm believer in, you know, 
look at the value, not necessarily the price, but knowing that they pay for it, that's, uh, that's really cool. So how yeah. does somebody, how does somebody sign up for one of those? You call me 619-787-9226. If you're, uh, if you're isolated away from the Navy, that's probably the easiest way is to interact with me, but, um, go to your training officer, wherever you are stationed, military folks, or to your deputy or to your executive assistant, whoever's right next to the flag officer or next to the skipper and say, hey, let's get the ruling course going and we'll set up a contract with you. It's not that hard. Sometimes they use credit cards. Sometimes they set up a contract. In fact, EOD, both EOD one and two, they host courses and uh, NSW, Navy Special Warfare Headquarters hosts four courses per year, two East Coast, two West Coast every year. And I just did one two weeks ago on the West Coast. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, I, I didn't know about that. Even, even when I went through, I just remember, the, you know, there's a bunch of retired EOD guys that have made this huge checklist Yeah. and I pass it out to everybody I can and say, Hey, see if you can get some benefit out of this. Um, but that's like one of the first things they say at the 24 month, like look for a ruling course. And I was like, I don't, what is that? So I went on the website and I looked at it and yeah. Uh, I've always been interested about it. So I'm glad you took the time to chat with us today a little bit about it. One of the things that, I mean, really the, the thing about this podcast is, you know, we, as we transition out of the military, we don't know, what we don't know. And, and, and tap tries to do tap GPS, whatever we want to call it. We'll use tap as a common term. It, it tries to prepare us as best they can in my opinion, falls a little bit short of the mark, I think, for full preparation and, and really doing the full transition, especially for the folks I think that your target audience, the ones like me that have been behind the wire for 30 years that I think, in, in my opinion, are truly institutionalized to the military mindset. You know, when you start talking about how do I put my military experience into civilian talk, how do I translate that? How do I go from speaking about we to speaking about me and I, you know, what, what do I do for you? It's, it's very difficult. You know, how do I find where, where it is that I'm going to land? How, how do I even know what's out there? I mean, it's such a huge path of discovery for someone like me. And, and I think your target audience, it, it's, and it, and it takes solid mentorship. It takes a course like you guys, that, what you offer, to really open that aperture for us that's not covered in tap. And, and I don't think, and there's such a market there. I said this on a you know podcast before, if, if taps is doing such a great job, there wouldn't be a market for folks like you and you guys are killing it. you know, you guys are doing such a great job because I haven't been through the course, but I've heard nothing but great things about your course. And everyone I've talked to has said, Mike, you need to go through this course. Mike, you need to go through this course. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to hopefully eventually going through your course. Well, get you hooked up there, Mike. Um, yeah, the, the first thing that you talked about, Mike, is what do you do? What do you want to do when you get out? And that's where a lot of people struggle. The path of least resistance and a lot of these other organizations try to set up folks to do what they did in the military on the outside. And that, that is the easiest thing. But there are certain trades that don't translate well. I'll give you an example. When I teach Marine Corps infantrymen, about the corporate space, you know, their job was just like you guys, uh, killing people and blowing stuff up. And there's not a comparable job on the outside. So now they have to find some sort of subspecialty. So 
the first thing they have to ask themselves is how close to defense do they want to stay? You know, so they can either pick defense contracting or civil service, right? If, if you love what you want to do, there's room there in that area to continue to do what you do. Like I had a guy, he was uh, an LDO, 42 years, submariner, engineer background. He said, I love what I, I would do this till the day I drop, but they're kicking me out. Nelson, what do I do? It's stay civil service. So he stayed in Hawaii and he's still working on submarines and he's still working with the same gang. And we've all seen that where a guy comes in and is, uniform one day and the next day he comes in and he's in a polo shirt and khaki pants doing the same job. So that's the path of least resistance. And it's not hard for me to help the person do that. But the vast majority are trying to potentially remake themselves and try something completely different. And we totally support that. We just want to make sure they aren't naive about what they're headed into. On the other extreme, I'll have a young guy come to me like I did last week was a SWIC, a boat driver, SWIC, you know, special warfare boat guy. And he goes, I want to be a graphic artist. And I said, how, how, how long have you been in the military? He goes, 30 years. I said, show me uh, some art, art renderings. You know, are you a doodler? Are you drawing? He goes, no, I'm just going to go learn how to do this. And I said, how old are you, man? He goes, I'm, I'm 48. And I said, I, I've hired lots of graphic artists and fired a lot of graphic artists in my life. I would never hire you. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you need to come to me with a portfolio of games you've built, graphics you've created, or I'm not gonna hire you. And he said, well, I'll learn all that. I'm gonna go to college and learn about that. And I said, dude, you're 48. You're gonna be surrounded by 20 something kids, 20 something year old kids who've been doing this since they were seven. <laughs> Here. And so I had to get him back into the reality space of, well, maybe you can help them build a first shooter game since your job has been blowing stuff up and killing, he went to work for Sony. And so anyways, so part of my job is it's easiest when there's a path of least resistance, doing what you did in the military, doctor, airline pilot, engineer, that's easy. It's the guys who want to re remake themselves that I have to help and recalibrate their brains just a little bit. That's, you think, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, you're, you're basically describing me. I went from... EOD tech to financial advisor. And I've taken stock of a lot of the things, the misconceptions I had and not, you know, naivete or whatever, when I got into the business and hopefully now, you know, I'm working with a couple other guys that say, Hey, I'm a few years from getting out. I, I think I want to do what you do. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see how this goes, but I'm like, all right, let's sit down and, uh, you know, twice a month and I'm going to talk to you about all the things that I wish I had known. And, and so hopefully, you know, at the end of three years, I will have helped them uh, get to the point where I wish I would have been right when I got out. Um, it's good because we have some time to, to work on that. But uh, yeah, I kind of just jumped headfirst into the, into the deep end and uh, with a weight belt on and <laughs> didn't really know like, hey, how do I get successful in this? I figured it out eventually, but I'm just that, that's my personality type. I'm that stubborn person that has to go find out for myself. Um, yeah. And I love it. I mean, Trevor, I explored your LinkedIn. I took a look at your marketing and branding and I said, okay, this, this guy's on the right path. He's built a brand. He's doing this podcast. This is a great marketing tool. And so the, when a person wants to go out the door, maybe start their own business, the first thing I ask him is show me your business plan. 
Uh, I own my own business for five years. I sold it uh, a number of years ago. Uh, we did phone apps. Uh, first time I saw a smartphone, I said, hey, this is going to change the world. I'm going to go do that. So I hired a bunch of young guys and how to do apps. And I just marketed apps when the, when the stores were brand new, like the Apple store was new, Microsoft, Android, all those, and got in at the ground floor. But key to being successful, if you're going to try something entrepreneurial, is to have a little bit of business background to start with. So what I tell most of my students is, hey, go work for somebody who does that. First, learn the business, then launch your own business. And I'm not trying to criticize you, Trevor. I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a master chief, um, uh, a CB, who was one of my students. He was up in China Lake. And he said, I want to build pools in the China Lake region because there's only one guy in all of China Lake that builds pools. He's terrible. I could beat him. And I sat him down and I said, I believe in you 100%. How about this? Why don't you go work for that guy? become his best friend and then start your own business and destroy him. And he looked at me as like, I can't do that. That's, that's totally wrong. That's against our ethics. And so that's one of my main topics with you guys. And I put it on here as one of the surprises about in the business world, this idea of loyalty, right? You, you got to get over uh, loyalty and there's a big umbrella. We can talk about that. Maybe you guys have experienced it, but, most companies are about the profit and loss statements. It's not about personalities or liking you or not liking you. It's about making money. Yeah. What were you going to say earlier, Mike? So I was thinking along the lines of, you know, I've, I'm finishing up my third command master chief tour. And I think it's oftentimes, you know, the CEOs and the XOs and the CMCs, we think we're, we're, we're C-suite bound folks when we get out and, and I think it's because, you know, we're, we've been running commands and, you know, I, I was at EOD school and we had about a thousand people down there and that's a pretty big organization with, a, you know, a lot of, a lot of money and a lot of moving parts and a lot of risk management, a lot of operations, multinational folks coming in and out of there. But in reality, when you start talking about profits, profit and loss statements and things like that, and dealing with, you know, I did deal with unions a little bit through the, the, the government service, but I'm a rookie at that stuff. And I think it takes a little bit of education to really get me into that. And I think it's sometimes, I think your course would be great to help ease somebody into that, especially folks like me, because I don't think, I think if I went straight from tap class and said, Oh, I'm a command master chief. I can go run. I can go help run your company based on my, you know, my great proven track record of leadership. I think I'd really be, I, I'd be in trouble. And, and so would the folks be that would, would be hiring me. And I, and I think I see that talk on LinkedIn every now and then where you'll see the folks that will, chime in and say, well, I don't think the CEO, the commanding officers and the command sergeant majors, command masters, whatever, uh, I don't think they're quite prepared because I don't think they really know exactly what goes on in the business world, nor are the CEOs going to lead a battalion or a brigade in combat either. They're ill-prepared for that as well, uh, you know, on the, on the flip side of it. But, you know, it's just, it, it's, 
it, we, we tend to draw these parallels that we think are, you know, when we are naive somewhat on, on our experience. And uh, it's just an interesting thing to see on LinkedIn where people, oh, no, we're, we're prepared. We, we do. It's, it's very similar. And it's and I think it's the it's a little bit uh, naive or a, a little bit uneducated to, to think that way. But I think uh, I've heard folks that have gone through your course have come out the other side with a much more enlightened view on on uh, on where those parallels exist and where they don't. Now, great examples. There are many, many parallels. The hard part is for the sailor or the Marine to, to translate that now so that you can make me a believer. If I'm your interviewer and you're trying to tell me that you manage people and you manage money, okay, well, tell me some stories about that acronym free to the best of your ability. Um, one day I was presented a resume by a guy who's a commanding officer of a squadron. Great guy, smart, capable, F-18 fighter pilot. Hands me his resume. And as I'm looking down the job titles, rather than putting commanding officer of VF, blah, blah, blah. He put, I'm the CEO of uh, VF, blah, 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 blah. And I said, hey man, not to disrespect you at all. Okay, there are some commonalities, but you're wrong. <laughs> Being CEO is, has a very different perspective. Let's talk about PL. Let's talk about profit and loss. I said, you're really good at spending money, okay? I was you. And I would spend it and then say, if you want these airplanes to fly again, give me some more money, right? That is not going to work in the commercial world. We waste so much money in the military that you would be fired in an instant uh, on the outside for that sort of mindset. So, again, I really emphasize that if you want to get into the business world, it, it's Go and work for somebody. They will teach you. You will learn it and then start your own business or hang your own hat out there at that point. So there's my advice on that part. Yeah. One of the things that you said uh, when you were talking about starting your own company that I like, and it's, it's a concept that a lot of us aren't uh, maybe in tune with. You said, hey, I started my own company. I just hired a bunch of young guys that knew how to do all the technical stuff and let them do that. I just, because I, I think a lot of guys, when they say, well, I'm going to start a business, they feel like they have to, you know, have their fingers in all, all those little technical facets. And I'm like, you, you don't have to be an engineer. You just know how to do all the other stuff they, you know, really, I guess the big thing is, is, Cause I, I work with a lot of veteran business owners too. And I'm like, look, man, you have to stop working so much in your business and start working on your business because, you know, kind of like I learned, uh, you know, working in financial services is like the guys who actually are able to support themselves doing this job are the ones that can bring business in, not just the one, like you could be the best financial advisor in the world, but if people don't know who you are, they don't know what you do. They don't know why they should work with you you know, you're going to starve or, or you're going to, you know, quit after six months to a year and, and go get a job somewhere else. Now I'm with you. And when people come to me with business ideas, first I ask them for the business plan. And as a big part of that is what is your management plan? Who does what? So I like the perfect triad where you've got a guy at the top. Who's the strategic vision guy. He doesn't get his hands dirty. He's thinking, future, he's thinking strategic, he's thinking customers. 
And then you got the guy who's the technical guy. He knows how to build it. He knows how to make it. He knows how to run it. And then the third guy, I think, in the perfect triangle is your finance guy, your CFO. He runs the money. And you need that triad because if there's difficulty in decision making, two of the three are going to out. Hopefully all three agree to whatever it is. But even if all three don't agree, two will and the other one will have to follow along. So if anybody's looking to start a business, that's the perfect shape. Try it. It's, it's tough, though, too, because I have, you know, over the last few years, I've known so many people that have um, that have tried to go out and start businesses with partners and everything. It, it's difficult, right? You have to make sure that your visions align and that they stay aligned because I've seen that several times where people, uh, you know, they start going together and things are good. Mm-hmm. And then one of the partners meets somebody else who's like, oh, you know what, you should do this. And before you know it, they're going in a completely different direction. And, you know, it's like, well, okay, this is kind of dissolved. So... Now, I've seen it before, but one of the things I also ask a person who's interested in starting a business with partners, I, I say, you have to tell me that at the end of the day, you could not talk to this person for the rest of your life. Because if you enter into this relationship, it could destruct your friendship. So when they come to me and they say, I'm going to do a business with my brother or my dad, I'm like, you know what? You should really think about that because if everything goes sour, you might not be able to talk with them again. It might go that bad. So not to discourage anybody from starting a business. Again, I'm, a, I'm all about entrepreneurship. I think you should do it. First, write a business plan and have people beat the crap out of your business plan before you launch. Make sure you're not taking too much financial risk. You're the finance guy. but uh, And I know you guys like beer. I've heard, I've heard a couple of your podcasts, but I had one of my students, a helicopter pilot, said, I'm going to start my own brewery here in San Diego. And I said, I love beer, craft beer. I want some free beer out of this. And I said, show me your business plan. He shows it to me. And he was going to take a million dollar note. He was going to borrow a million dollars and uh, buy all of his equipment. And I'm like, why don't you just rent the equipment or let somebody else make the beer? You just market the beer because do you know what the payment is per month on a million dollars? And he's like, I can do it. No problem. Guess how long he lasted? Three years. I mean, I did get some free beer out of it, but mm-hmm. I live in San Diego and I know No Folk is booming too, but we have like 200 breweries in town. It's going to be really, really hard to make it. So that's why the business plan, you got to present it to, to people who are former business people, currently business people, take it to the small business administration, uh, have people tear that thing apart and have them red team it, right? You don't, everybody's smiling and happy and they're like, oh yeah, I want you to be successful. I want, I'm your best friend. I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. You want somebody who's going to look you in the face like a command master chief would and say, Skipper, that's a bad idea. Let me tell you what. Yeah. That's I mean, we kind of do the same thing, uh, you know, with our qualification boards for, you know, you have your basic, those are the guys that just get out of school. We have your senior tech and then you have your master tech master boards are brutal. They're 30 days long. You've got scenarios in your five major mission areas and the culmination of that event is you sit in there with all of your board members and the command master chief, and you have to brief all five of those scenarios. And the whole time it's just guys shooting holes in your plan. And I'll tell you the guys that I've seen that have done the best. In fact, um, I don't know if he's listening to this, but Pete Doris, I'll give you a shout out. That dude 
did such a good job reaching out and letting us beat him up during the pre-boards that the day of his board came and he briefed his first three scenarios in an hour. Because hmm. <laughs> like, we, we had engaged with him so much prior to that that when the day of his board came, we had nothing. You know, we were like, oh, okay, took care of that, took care of that. And we were all like, well, what do we do? And they're like, well, let's just make him feel the heat. So so the last two, we, you know, made him do those. It's supposed to last like three hours. Um, you know, we, we dug in and he he was good. He was shutting it down left and right. And I thought like, yeah, that, uh, you know, I wish everybody had engaged me like as a board member like he did uh prior to that and same thing like you said right the i mean that's why we train so hard right you sweat in training so you bleed less on the battlefield mm-hmm. um but you know there's i was going to say you were talking about the finances there's a lot of good courses out there i'm not going to name any of them because there's too many of them to think about but uh, where you can learn stuff like that like you know how money works for a business and um, it's, it's the problem is, is there's almost too many of them. And some of them are kind of opinionated. Like a lot of those, you have to be careful with those because some of those are geared towards, well, you know, you can learn all about it in my coaching program, right? So you end up paying 20 or $30,000 right. for a coaching program that teaches you the same thing you could get at another course that maybe you only pay 1200 bucks for. You guys mentioned tap and, uh, I think TAP has one of their sort of pathways or people interested in starting their own business. I've not been through that course, but I'm assuming it's free and you can learn a little bit. It's called Boost the Business. Boost Boost the Business. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard mixed reviews on that. I didn't go through it because I didn't have, I wasn't thinking entrepreneurial at the time. I, I, uh, yeah. One of the things that I want to talk about too is, on your path out the gate for the last time, you know, it's easy to sit there and watch the ticker go by on MSNBC and think, okay, those are the corporations that are out there. Mm -hmm. Those are the places where I can go land. Well, the fact of the matter is, you know, when I worked up in DC on Capitol Hill, you know, and meeting with a lot of these constituents, you're meeting with a lot of small and medium businesses that, you know, I work for the center in Florida and, you know, you, you meet a lot of these niche defense companies i was in yeah i had a defense portfolio but there's a lot of neat mom and pop kind of corporations that are you know 1500 people 1500 employees 1000 employees 500 employees smaller that are doing a really they're, they're doing really cool things you know and i was meeting folks in commercial space and microelectronics and you know these types of things that i didn't i had no idea that these places were out there and what they were doing. And it's fascinating what's going on in corporate America. And I was completely ignorant to it had I not gone and done that job. But, you know, I think we sell ourselves short as transitioning veterans and, and, and it's just on pure ignorance that we just don't know what's out there. And, and I think we, we need to do our due diligence in researching what's truly available, not only what sectors are available, what, what lies within those sectors and then what opportunities are within that even. No, I'm, I'm with you, Mike. I, when I meet students, I, I was them. So I remember when I was in the military, I didn't care what other people did. I was a naval aviator and I was going to do whatever it took to get promoted to my next job. Right. And it was focused Navy, 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 carrier, carrier, carrier until 
it's not right. And now you're on. And so if I was at a soccer game or something with my kid, I didn't care what the other parents did when I was in uniform, like, okay, that's cool. But now I've been out 13 years and every time at a, at a social function, I engage people just to find out how they get paid. And you're right, Mike, it's amazing. Even today, after 13 years of been out, being out, it's amazing the sorts of jobs and businesses that are out there. And the only way you can know about this is to network, network, network. I mean, that's really the key. And not all military folks are interested in going out and glad handing and schmoozing and going to the breakfast and happy hours. But if you want to work in the corporate world or get any job, honestly, any job, it's going to be about who you know and putting yourself out there as unfun as that could be for somebody who's more of a, an insider, not an extrovert, but an introvert. Um, hire our heroes is great. I'll put some shout outs for ones I know. And I know you guys have talked about them. Hire our heroes is great. Veteran beer club. I don't know if you guys have one in Norfolk, but we have a chapter here in San Diego and we get together once a month at one of the breweries here and everybody schmoozes each other. American corporate partners. That's another great one. And then of course, Skillbridge is really getting a lot of traction. And many, many of my students officer enlisted or, or, turning their skill bridge, which is really an internship, into a job because it, they're networking their way into a firm. For my students, uh, those that do skill bridge are 75 to 80% of them are getting full-time job offers at the end of that skill bridge. So anytime you can get yourself inserted into the community, into the business working space, Rotary Club, Shriners, you name it, get out there, start shaking hands. And it takes a different mindset, like you said, because you're so used to wearing a uniform and wearing wings or wearing an EOD crab or wearing a trident or, you know, wearing an anchor with two stars on top of it or wearing a, you know, a big bird or, or, or big stars. And you walk into a room and you have instant clout and you people instantly recognize who you are. Well, now you walk into those rooms and nobody knows who you are anymore. And it's, it's a completely different set of rules in the way the game is played. And you really have to rewire your brain and, and completely how the you approach the strategy on how you do that networking. And, and I was fortunate to go through the Honor Foundation and do their 50 cups of coffee. And it was a little bit of a slow momentum for me. And fortunately, we started doing this podcast back in late December, early January. So it really gave me a strong boost and got me out of my comfort zone by doing this and having to hear my own voice when we do editing, which we both couldn't stand at the beginning, but now we're getting over it. I think we're on our 26th, 27th or so episode, but you know, that, that was something you know, just push yourself getting out of your comfort zone and always staying uncomfortable. You know, it, it, it gets better. I, I promise you it gets better, but you know, that's just something that we're not used to doing for the 20 and 30 year service member, even the, the, the four year men and women, they're not used to doing that because they walk in the room as a corporal or a sergeant or, or, a, you know, uh, uh, an O4, a captain or a lieutenant, and they, they're instantly recognized, but now all of a sudden they're, they're in a polo shirt and it's like, Oh, oh Hey, who are you? How you doing? You know, and it's, it takes a different strategy and, and, and and an approach to making that happen than it did when you sat in the wardroom or when you walked into a conference room and you had the camouflage uniform on or the khakis or whatever it was. 
It's true. And sometimes people are overly humble, especially after you've had 30 years. And so what I try to tell my students, and this is for you too, Mike, is just remember as, as the interviewer at a company, I'm probably going to be talking to six to maybe even 12 people that day for that one open position. And you all blend together. So how do you stand out? You can't be humble. You got to walk in there. And I know it seems a little bit arrogant, but you got to walk in there and tell them why you're special. Why should you pick me over all those other people that just came in here today? And it's about thinking about yourself. What are you proud of? What are you happiest? What are you passionate about? So that passion comes out when you sit down with me and I'll pick it. And that's a tough, tough mindset to do, especially guys like Trevor and I that have served in special operations for decades that you, when you go through the training, you get it beat into you. It is not about you. It's about we, it's about mm -hmm. the team and then the team succeeding. And then all of a sudden, you know, you do an about face, walk out the gate and it's like, Oh, now it's, it's I. And even when I'm doing my resume and I'm putting things, bullets in my resume about, I did this amount with this million dollars of money in support of these folks. And this is what I did, you know, in the success block. And it's, it's, it's still tough for me to, I was, I was reviewing, reviewing my resume, helping a buddy out uh, with his resume up in DC and, I'm looking at mine and it's, it still makes me uncomfortable to look at my resume in that mindset, but that's the way it has to be done. Like, like you said, in order to be successful out there, it's just a tough way to do it. And, uh, and, but that's the way it is. That's the way the game is played. That's right. the strategy it takes. I was, uh, I was talking to a guy that I was coaching one day uh, through the honor foundation and we were working on his resume and I was like, you know, he, he put all these things on there about all the stuff his team did. And I'm like, look, man, this is a resume, not a resume, right? <laughs> I like that. That's great. That's great. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, you know, I, I love all those, like, cheesy one-liners, too. Another one of my favorites, we were talking about getting out of your comfort zone. I think it was, um, I don't know if it was Scott Weaver who, who said this. So he's like, Hey bro, you're never going to get stronger lifting the lightest dumbbells in the gym, right? You get out there and push yourself and don't be afraid. Hey, if you blow an interview, guess what? There's more interviews available out there. You just can't, you know, don't be afraid to fail and don't get discouraged. If you do just understand, I'll tell you, like I tell this story all the time, probably the worst client meeting I ever had was my first real prospecting meeting with a military couple. And I completely blew it. Like I went to go eat lunch with my wife and one of my kids afterwards. And she's like, Oh, what do you want to eat? I was like, I'm not hungry. I, <laughs> I just felt so crushed. I was like, man, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm probably not going to be good at this job. I don't even know if I was good at my last job. Like nobody likes me. But, uh, you know, after I got over feeling sorry for myself, I resolved. I was like, I'm never going to let that happen again. I came back, I got stronger I worked harder and I thought about all the things I did wrong. And, you know, the next time I knocked it out of the park. Yeah. You just got to get up the bat and you got to swing, swing, swing. Cause you will connect totally yeah. with you. That's sales, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it is really. And you know, that's, you know, that, that other big thing too, that I see a lot of people get in the, you know, a lot of guys, Financial services is a really popular one. We just recorded an episode last week with a with another guy where we're going to talk about that. But it's one of those ones where 
you get out and you're like, well, you know, I really like to help people. And I'm like, that's great. But, you know, this is a business. You're not, you know, you're not selling your friendship here, right? You're selling your ability to effectively perform a service for these people. And if you can't convince them that, you know, your solution is the best one, like, what are you even doing? Are you really helping somebody if, if you put in all this time and effort of like teaching them things and looking at everything that they have and providing recommendations and they're just like, nah, we're good. Like, what, what are you doing there, right? So if, if you can't make that connection, then maybe that business isn't for you. And that's, that's why, you know, a lot of people who, especially veterans, you know, when they recruit veterans, all those big companies, they don't really care about you so much. They want your contacts. I just think it's, it's important that they realize that like, Hey, they're bringing you in because you know, a lot of people and they're right. first thing they're going to do is say, Hey, call 200 of your friends and, and see if they want to come work with you. They don't even, you know, you're, you're going to get all their information and put it into their system. And, and yeah. they're now they're going to have that information for marketing and, um, you know, whether they work with you or not is besides the point, but they, they want to get that. They want your network. And a lot of companies will say that to people too. I, I think Mike probably like when he was up in DC, you have all those, uh, you know, lobbyists out there. They're like, Hey, I want you to come work with me because you have a, a ton of contacts that would be beneficial to my business. Yeah, I, it's absolutely true. Uh, I won't name the corporation I work for, but I spent four years in defense contracting and what I tell my students is we had fit reps and evaluations every year, just like you do in the military. I remember coming to my first fit rep review as a corporate dude. And the, the evaluation is actually was seven pages at the time. And the seventh page was dedicated to how much money you did you bring into the firm in the last 12 months? Who, who did you do calls with? Which clients did you get contracts with? And uh, that kind of shocked me. And I remember my boss reviewing my piece of paper and said to me, Nelson, you know one of the skippers, he just took over part of uh, the Naval Station. How come you don't go down there and sell them? I said, okay, I'll go down and sell them. So I made a call. I said, hey, buddy, congratulations on your command. Great change of command. Can I sit down and talk with you about what we could offer? He said, sure, Nelson, you know, from the past, I'll, I'll open up my door for you. So I sat down with him. He didn't need our help, right? He could fix it with sailor power. So I had to go sit with my boss and my boss said, did you sell him anything? And I said, no, because I've been him. He's told me what his problems are. It is a sailor solution and they don't need a defense contractor to do this thing. He's like, well, you just failed. I'm like, what? He said, you need to go back there and sell him some stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to take advantage of my buddy or the government or the military. So, I mean, I learned a really hard lesson in my first year. They don't care about that. Your job is to sell the product. And if you don't, you failed. It's that simple. It's nothing personal. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, you know, the ultimately, I, I think a big part of that is, do you really believe in the solution that you're providing? Right? That's, that's something I learned. I went through a Sandler a sales training course and that completely changed my way of thinking about how I, how I do business now. And, you know, it, it really got me to the point to, to where I work now is because like I do what I do now because I honestly believe that the solution I can provide for the right people, it's, you know, yes, it's absolutely the right, the right one for them. 
Um, but that's the other big thing too, is, you know, when I kind of learned that you need to focus on your niche market, right? You can't, you, that's a mistake that I made that everybody else does. You try to go out and everybody's a client, everybody like, no, focus on who it is that you want to work with. And, and of all the prospective clients that you bring in, screen them, like, don't just figure out a way to make it work. I'm to the point now where I'm like, okay, is, you know, I figure out like how to not, how it doesn't work. Right. I try to screen people and say, Hey, I'm not a good fit for you. Right. You would be better fit going to talking to somebody else because what I do just, you know, based off of what you've told me about yourself and what you want to do, it's, it's not a good fit. Well, you're an honest person, Trevor, and I respect you and understand that, but not everybody's like that on the outside. They'll do whatever it takes to make the sale. Oh, I know. Yeah. There's some yeah. sleaze balls out there. And the thing is, <laughs> I, I, I just like, you know, if I'm upfront and honest with people about that, because I've done that before I've said, Hey, you know what, you know, what I've realized is when you are honest and upfront about that, your, you know, the amount of business that you actually close that percentage goes way up. Um, because if you, if you pursue, working with a bunch of people who aren't a good fit for you, you could find yourself putting a lot of time and effort into that for, for very little, you know, reward out of that. So that was just kind of like my own personal epiphany. And, you know, I know Mike's he's, he's about to, he's been doing skill bridge, which is awesome. I got to tell you, I was really surprised. I've talked to a lot of, I seem to talk to a lot of E nines and O sixes that are retiring and you're, you know, kind of looking at like the, the two questions that I try to answer, right? Is survivor benefit plan a good deal for me? And what do I do with TSP when I retire? And the amount of those guys that I talk to that know absolutely nothing about SkillBridge. Um, I have said that, like, have you heard of SkillBridge? And they're like, no, what's that? And I'm like, how do you, yeah. you're, you're the super senior guy. Um, but that I think is a great transition period. I wish I had had something like that to kind of prepare me for when I retired too, because, you know, Mike has been doing that. He's kind of getting a taste of it. And now when he gets out, I think he's going to be in a lot better position. I was when I got out. Absolutely. I think it's, I mean, if my Intel officer hadn't been, uh, he was going to go, he set up to go do one here in a few months. And had he not talked about it to me, I would have never looked into it. I would have been completely ignorant to it. And after he, he and I had a discussion, we went to lunch and we talked about it more in depth and I went after it and I, I cannot believe, I, I can believe why the DOD undersells it from a leadership perspective. Mm-hmm. I get it. I, yeah. I completely get it. But I think if we manage and lead people, correctly and we do it the right way we can mitigate the risk and take care of people and at least afford most people a skill bridge opportunity to really help them transition and 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 set them up for success on the other end and and that's that's the that's the non-command master chief opinion on that side that's just you know from seeing it from both sides i think it's one of the best programs, best transition programs the DOD has as far, I think it's the return on investment as far as tap class goes and all those other ones that are out there. 
I think Skillbridge is by far one of the best ones out there. Yeah, I'm a big fan, and it sounds like it's working for you. Um, I, I put myself back in my uniform just mentally and say to myself, if I was a seagoing skipper, there's no way I'm going to let anybody go. If I was a shore base skipper, sure, as long as it came up with a mitigation plan, like you said, we can absorb it. But if we're getting ready for deployment, I could see where the pushback comes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's where I completely, when I put on the command master hat, I can completely see the issues with that, you know, and I can see where guys on the waterfront are like, you're my rescue swimmer. There's no way in hell I'm going to let you go on a skill bridge. Right. Makes perfect sense that, that your absolute mission necessity for that thing to go underway. It's not going to happen. Uh, but when you're, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of other organizations out there that can afford to let people go. And, but we just don't, you, you have to dig to find the instruction and, yeah, and, the, and the nav admin yeah. um, from 2015. And it, it's just not a very well advertised or promoted um, program. And I, I just think, and I, and I understand, I can understand why it's, why it isn't. Yeah. Bupers is way against it because there's no continuity for replacements and it screws up their detailing plan. I get all that. Um, but I'm still a fan of it. And I recommend to all of your listeners to explore it. And you don't need some company to set it up for you. You can set up your own. If you find a company that you're interested in and they're willing to take you, it all works. And now I live in California. We've had some legal problems and I won't bore you with the details, but basically in California, every state's different. You can't work for free, right? And so some companies are very hesitant to take you on board because they've been sued. Let me give an example. The fashion industry in Los Angeles used to live off of internships, free internships. So they bring all these young kids in, work them to death for free, and then spit them out with no job at the end. And so in California, they said, wait, that doesn't seem right. You know, you got to pay them something. So um, whatever state you live in, make sure you research the, whatever the rules are in your state and, and, that, and assure that company that you are getting paid. You're getting paid by the United States military, so they're not ripping anybody off. So make that right. press. Right. And it's amazing the companies that don't know about it either. Yeah. Even the companies that are pretty familiar with the defense industry. Yeah. That, that don't know a lot about skill bridge and you, you know when you you talk about especially like potential c-suite folks you can plug really highly performing highly capable c-suite potential folks in a skill bridge opportunity and give them a free test drive for you know a month two months and really see if they're a fit in your organization for at zero cost, you know, as a, as a free trial for, for your organization. And, and in that time frame, they're starting to learn, you know, your nuances or your, you know, your proprietary stuff that you have going on in your organization and those types of things to see if you're a true fit, not only if you can get up to speed and, and learn what's going on in there, but also if you're, if you're really what, what they're looking for. And I think, you know, people, look at it I've, I've seen people think it is more of a you know you're going to go be a, a plumber's helper or, mm -hmm. or or a carpenter or you're going to go learn you know how to fix cars or or whatever but it's a complete 
spectrum mm -hmm. on what that program encompasses from, you know, like I just said, the, the, the executive level potential type folks all the way down to, Hey, I want to go learn how to drive trucks. All right. right. We can do it all, you know, and, and it's the full spectrum. So explore it. What, you know, what do you want to, but it's, it's on the service member, the, the Hoover salesman not, is not going to come to your door and knock on your barracks door and offer you the skill bridge opportunity. You, you don't go to the barbershop and pull the number and 15 and you go do that. No, mm -hmm. you have to go and take the initiative and make it happen. And it, and the more you take the initiative to make it happen, the better off you're going to be, especially like you said, the 70, 75, 85 or upwards of 85% of folks being offered a full employment opportunities on the, on the back end of their skill bridge opportunities. Totally with you. And not only is it for them to give you a test run, but it's for you to get a chance to see if this is really where you want to work. Cause some people have dreams. I had a student really wanted to work for Amazon. Amazon's a great company. Don't get me wrong. He got, the job at Amazon, one of the distribution centers, making a ton of money. And he called me up a year afterwards and said, I just quit. And uh, can you look at my resume? I said, why'd you quit? He goes, I just couldn't get excited about the boxes. I said, all day long, all I had worried about was improving the process of moving boxes. After a while, I didn't care. I don't care how much money. And so he left. So it was a good test run for him. So the skill bridge gives you a chance to go make sure that's really where you want to work, doing what you want to do. Well, that's, you know, I think the other thing, yeah, that gives you another little thing to put there on your resume to say, look, I've had some civilian work experience. I've told that story before on here about um, the guy that I, when I learned about DOD SkillBridge uh, from John McCaskill, one of our uh, earlier podcast hosts or uh, guests, he had an event there in Virginia Beach and they had the old commanding officer of NAS Oceana there. And he talked about he wanted to get, take this job at EVM at Eastern Virginia Medical School. And they were like, well, we, we can't, you don't really have any experience working in this field, so we can't really hire you. And then he found out about SkillBridge and he had gone back and talked to them and said, yeah, you could have come in and done this, you know, as an intern, like us not paying you. But by then you would have had, you know, months, six months of experience. We totally could have hired you then. Right. Or, you know, you could have gone somewhere else and some, some other place. Oh, you did an internship here. Oh, that's great. Um, it's, it's just, I think it's like the best thing out there when it comes to transition that, that unfortunately a lot of people don't know about. One other thing I wanted to ask you about too, cause this is a popular one. I know just from working with lots of folks who are getting out of the military. I hear this all the time when they say, what do you want to do? I'll give you a guess. See if you can guess what it is they say they want to do. Kind of along the entrepreneurial. Uh, make money. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Well, kind of, sort of, but in a, they, they all want to start a nonprofit. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Yeah. And, and so I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about that because people yeah. don't understand that running a nonprofit is exactly like running a business. Yeah. It's, it's nonprofit, but at the same time, <laughs> you, you know, there's, there's still some profit and loss going on there. It takes money to run an organization like yeah, that. Yeah, with you 100%. I've had multiple friends working in the nonprofit industry. We talk about nonprofit in the course to kind of open their minds. As a general rule, the structure of a profit company and nonprofit company are the same. 
The difference is where the money comes in. In a nonprofit, they have to get their money through fundraising or endowments. And so that's a new department that you would not find in a for-profit. Makes sense, right? So if you're into doing fundraising, and I've got several friends that do that for a living, great. So you know you track uh, older folks are getting ready to die, and you market them so that they give your nonprofit all their money when they pass. I know that sounds really morbid, but there are people that specialize in that. I've got friends that, that do that. And there ain't anything wrong with that. So if you, if you picture the N1, N2, N3, N4, N5 kind of structure that we have in the military, many companies are built that way in the profit world and the nonprofit world. Again, the only difference is in the nonprofit world, they have this huge, uh, not the profit area, but the income part, the, the endowment part and the fundraising part, which would be new to most of us. And it's funny because, um, you know, when you talk to people who say that, the first question I always ask, and they, they, they say this, they say, why, did, why does everybody ask me that when I tell them that I want to start a nonprofit? They say, why nonprofit? And, and John McCaskill, same thing. He's like, I wanted to start a nonprofit too. There's, I don't know, tens of thousands of veteran-centric nonprofits out there. Yeah. I mean, there's tens of thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands of nonprofits out there anyways. But, you know, maybe you kind of like what you said, right? You go work for one of those nonprofits first, yeah. learn how it works and then decide if you want to do that because, you know, everybody's competing for, for everybody else. And chances are, if you want to start a nonprofit, there's probably already one out there hmm. that does exactly what you're going to want to do. And you're going to go compete against that. You know, those people who already have experience going out there and, and, you know, marketing themselves for the, so I, I just, I, I think it's an important thing. Like if you, if that's what you want to do and your heart's mm -hmm. set on it, okay, give it a go. Just understand that just because you say you run a nonprofit, people aren't going to be like, well, let me get a check. And you know, how much should I write, write you a check for? Right. It's the same thing as making a business. It's just, you, you know, how you're getting the money is, is a little different. Yeah, and, and, and nonprofit world is huge. What I tell my students is you guys have all been part of the combined federal campaign every year. And they try to get money from you while you're in uniform. Open up that catalog and realize how thick that is. I know it's not an actual, it's probably electronic now, but in my day, they actually had a booklet, right? You guys are probably there and you went through it and you figured out who you're going to give your money to. It's a huge, monstrous world of nonprofits. You probably, if you work in a nonprofit, will get paid a little less, let's say you're the ops officer, ops manager in a for-profit versus the ops manager for a nonprofit, or let's say the cyber guy in for-profit or the cyber guy in nonprofit. The nonprofit dude's going to get paid less as a general rule. And, that, and that's okay because you feel like you're passionate. You really do care about the service you're providing in a nonprofit. Fantastic. You don't want to do the sales bit? Okay. But when I hear students say, I don't want to do sales, I say, everything is sales, <laughs> everything. I mean, and then some guy in the military said, oh, I've been in the military my whole life. I've never done sales. And I said, well, did you ever have to get the troops to do something they didn't want to do, you know, do, to work on a weekend or something? And you convinced them that it was a good idea for us to come in on Saturday. Okay, you've done sales. You've convinced them to do something they don't want to do. Well, that's, that's what sales is on the outside. Everybody's the director of marketing. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> So, you know, I know we're getting close here on time, but I wanted yeah. to ask you, as far as your own personal experience going through yeah. transition, 
what, you know, what kind of advice or lessons learned do you, did you have from that that you wanted to share? Well, number one, it's who you know. So I interviewed, I remember this very clearly. I was, I was my last duty station in Stuttgart, Germany. It was awesome. It was fantastic. But I knew I wanted to settle in San Diego. So I, I flew in a couple of times into San Diego. I hadn't been back in 17 years. I mean, it'd been a long time. But uh, I came back and I interviewed with five companies in five days. And the reason I was in there is because I knew somebody in each one of those firms. There was no cold call. I basically contacted somebody who was in the firm. There wasn't a particular job I was fighting for. They just brought me in. They shopped me around. And uh, that's what it's going to take, folks. You're going to have to get out there. You're going to have to interview like crazy. And it's going to be somebody that you know on the inside, as a general rule, that's going to get you in the door. You know, if you're going to go sit at your computer all day applying online, you're kind of wasting your time. I mean, that's the lottery system. The, what you want to have happen is for a buddy of yours to take your resume, walk it to the hiring manager who's two doors down, slap that resume down and go, here's my buddy, Trevor. Don't waste any more time, Mike. Just give Trevor a call. I knew you need some help. He's your man. So that's what I encourage all of you to do. It's not using your friends. Well, it kind of is, but this is how the world works. And eventually your buddies are going to call you for a reciprocal favor when it's their turn. So don't feel um, hesitant to reach out to your friends and ask for help. Tell them what you want to do and they will help you. Funny story. That's how Mike got his uh, SkillBridge internship. Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> right, right as he was retiring, I was I was talking to um, we were talking about you know the concept of this podcast, and I had talk it. I was talking to um, a guy who's the CEO of the company Mike Stone of Skillbridge with now. Um, he when I was at SEAL Team Two like fifteen years ago, he was my platoon chief there. Huh. And he's like, yeah, you know, we're looking for, for, you know, senior level guys, master chiefs, you know, commanding officers and stuff. And I was like, well, Hey, you know, I got Mike, Mike's getting ready to retire here, you know, in about a year, maybe it would make sense for you to chat with him. And, you know, they did. And now he's doing the skill bridge internship. Yeah. Maybe I'll turn that into a full-time job. Yep. Hoping so. So, and uh, Trevor, did, are you charging him a fee for that? Because I would call that a finder's fee. I think that's worth at least fifteen hundred bucks. What do you think, Trevor? I, you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, you know, make him pay me back in porch beers or something. We just live <laughs> right down the street from each other, so. But yeah, no, that's uh, he he helps me with the podcast, so that's payment enough. Oh, and, <laughs> that's payback for all the pain I had to endure when he was a new guy on my platoon. Back yeah. To- yeah. There you go. That's what I always tell people like, uh, you know, our, our friend and former teammate that was uh, killed there five years ago. That's I said that, you know, I spoke at his memorial and I said, you know, we got we did our first team together where, you know, we were we were Mike Riggs's penance for something he must have done at some point earlier in his life. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh. but, yeah. Now we're good out times. Here, yeah, doing this now and, and having more good times. I guess for me, you know, my thing too that 
that I, you always hear me say is like, Hey, pursue purpose over profit. And not that you, you know, profit's important. Uh, I don't say forget all about it, but you know, for me, like I'm, I'm to the point now where I've been lucky enough to set myself up with, with several streams of revenue. And, and now I, you know, kind of work for myself doing, you know, what I want and pursuing things that I'm passionate about. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been good for me. Um, I wish I had, you know, kind of gotten the perspective that you had first was like, Hey, if you're going to do this, if you're going to go out into the business world, though, you do have to be concerned about profit, right? There's, there's a, that that's how you perform, right? And in your, in the military, your performance is based off of how you contribute to the command's mission objectives. Um, there's, you know, the same concept in the, in the private sector and, you know, the company's objectives are to generate profit. The bigger it gets too. the smaller the companies when they're first starting off, my observation is they do care about the quality product. And as they start getting into the hundreds of employees, it now becomes a moneymaker. And, and then when the venture capitalists come in and invest their money in your company now, now it's all about the money. <laughs> Well, it's funny too, because as you grow, a company grows, like the those costs grow too. And, and a lot of times, you know, when you're in that growth phase, the costs of expanding outpace, you know, the, the, the level of profit, like your profit margin actually goes down as you get bigger, especially you look at a company like Amazon, that's, you know, they're building this huge uh, building out here in Suffolk. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, it was actually in the news last year. They had a big collapse and it killed a couple of people. But uh, that building, oh my God, I drove by there one day just to look at it. And I was like, that thing is huge. And they're building hundreds of those all around the country. And I'm thinking like, man, that has got to cost a lot of money. So it becomes volume. Yeah. Right. Completely. And so Cool. Well, uh, you know, as we, we kind of get here towards the end of this, um, I wanted to thank you again for coming on and, and sharing your perspective with us. And, you know, again, like the, the rule and associates, I know you guys have a website. We'll put the link to that in the show notes here, but, um, yeah, look forward to, you know, I'd love to maybe chat with you offline too, and, and learn a little bit about that course and, uh, if there's anything we can do to help kind of spread the word about that, because it sounds like an awesome resource, we're here to help. Thanks. And I appreciate that. You guys are doing great work and you're doing all the right things. You're not only marketing yourselves, which is smart, but you're also helping everybody else at the same time. So you've married it together. Good for you guys. I love it. Yeah. That's the great part about this is when I used to go to Little Creek and people would want to talk about, what's going on in the UD community or, you know, what I did in DC or whatever. And now people pull us to the side when we go to, you know, Navy special operations events and they talk about the podcast. It's pretty funny because six months ago, i never would have dreamed that anybody would ever want to talk to me about a podcast other than something in common that maybe Joe Rogan would have spoke about or, you know, something like that. But there's actually, we're getting great feedback and, you know, that really, helps motivate you when people talk about they they're getting little bits of nuggets from this that we help tease out, you know, during conversation and it really makes it worth everything. Yeah. yeah. You know, guys are on the cutting edge of technology. I love it. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on Nelson. It was great talking with you. This is Yeah. Well, we appreciate it, man. Hey, Nelson Hendricks with Rule and Associates. 
Um, we'll put again, like I said, we'll put the the link to the website and the podcast notes, and uh, we'll share it too. Do you guys have a LinkedIn page? Yes, we do. So you can just uh, do hashtag Rule and Associates, or just type in Rule and Associates in the search bar. You should take uh, take you to the corporate webpage. We'll make sure we we share that too. So thanks again for coming on, Nelson. Thanks, guys. See ya. Good luck. Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net. And let us help you get to vet.